Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. One sixty-eight. That's the nothing personal word of the day for Monday, February nineteenth, two thousand twenty-four. It's President's Day, but guess what? Coke is working. We're working, and you're listening and watching. Thank you very much. One sixty-eight. I did it. I stayed up and watched the All-Star Game last night. The NBA All-Star Game. Furious. The tip-off was at eight forty or eight forty-two. Figuring I was told eight, the pregame started at four, whenever it started. Give me a small break. But then I was not prepared for the level of anger that was going to build throughout the night. As I watched 168 threes attempted, 97 and 71. Final score was, wait for it, 211 to 186. That's not a basketball game. That's a shoot around. That's as though you kept track of points during warmups. The entire game was disgraceful. And all the NBA wants and all Adam Silver wants is some level of gravitas for its all-star weekend. It's the same issue that confronts baseball and hockey and football. What do we do to gain viewers? What do we do to gain revenue? What do we do other than throw a party for our corporate sponsors? and somehow make it so we take over a city with bad weather for a weekend. Adam Silver could barely hide his contempt for the game during the MVP presentation to Dame Lillard while he got booed for winning MVP over the hometown favorite Halliburton, who I think scored himself 35, 40 points. Cat scored 50 points. It was a joke. So I've been racking my brain thinking about what to do with this all-star game. And I think I've got it. Do you remember the Emirates in-season tournament? Although it wasn't called that back in its inaugural fashion. It was just the in-season tournament. We've had it one year. Remember the Lakers, they won it. And it was in Vegas if you made it to the semis. And some of the games counted as regular season games. The finals did not. Stats in the final game did not. Lakers raised a banner, all that stuff. And then I looked a little more closely at the thing that I think about more than anything, which is money. Do you know that losing the All-Star game, so everybody on the West, those players got $25,000. Now, to many people, to most people, that's one hell of a check to get. I mean, you take out taxes, you still are getting $13,000 extra. It's money they can gamble on the plane ride back to wherever they're going before they start the season again on Thursday. The winning team, however, gets $100,000. How is that not enough to motivate you? And then I looked at the number for the in-season tournament. If you get to the final game of the in-season tournament, everybody on your team gets $200,000. 
that's twice as much as the winners get for the All-Star game. But if you win, but if we win, $500,000. And I was thinking about players and my experience talking to them and thinking about money with them and what bonuses they like and what matters. $500,000 to a player making $30 million moves the needle. $500,000 to a player making $5 million, it really moves the needle. $500,000 to players making the minimum, even in the NBA, it is a huge amount of money. The level of care for the in-season tournament was significant. So Adam Silver can try all he wants to make the game matter. He can do a Bud Selig shrug and he can give home court in the NBA finals to the conference, which wins the all-star game. He won't do it. Doesn't matter. Home court is not what it used to be in the NBA. So now we're down to just money. He's got to give the winning player on the winning team, every player on the winning team, $500,000. He has to match the in-season tournament. He has to make it worthwhile for the players to play defense, for the players to care. It is unwatchable basketball to see 168 bombs. Oh, he pulled up from the logo. Hey, look, Reggie Miller and Candace Parker. Or Look at that. That's a layup for Dame Lillard from the logo. All the back and forth. Oh, look at that. Luka Doncic. Doncic. Uh, every time, Coca. Luka. The Joker. How many minutes did the Joker play, Coca? Hold on, let me check this. I'm trying to see if there was a player who cared less than Jokic about being at the All-Star game. He doesn't even care about being at the NBA Finals. Why would he care about being at the All-Star game? Jokic, 23 minutes. LeBron only played 14 because of his ankle. Jokic only took eight shots, six for eight, 13 points. Disinterested. What about Donkic? What did he do? 20, same 23 minutes, three for 10, one for six from threes. Yes, I am worked up because I used to love, the NBA All-Star Game used to mean something. Do you remember when Magic Johnson was allowed to play after he was out of the league when he tested positive for HIV and he came back and won the MVP? I think it was the 92 All-Star Game. And when you saw Kareem and Worthy and Magic and Bird and these players wanted to win. East versus West, this was not about, oh, Olay defense. This was about, we are going to crush you. We are not going to let you get a layup. I miss those days. The only way for Adam Silver to get them back is to pay the players more money. So the changes that are going to come to the All-Star game, number one, way more involvement with women. The Steph Curry three-point contest was absolutely outstanding. Why did it interest me so much? Because Kenny Smith has gotten absolutely torched. And Kenny Smith said on the air exactly what I was thinking. Just hear me out because I don't want to get people to misunderstand. And I don't want Coca to be upset, but hear me out. In a long drive contest in golf, is it true or false that men hit from the men's tees and women hit from the women's tees? Whether it's fair or not, whether it matters or not, whether it should be a rule or not, the WNBA has a different three-point line. 
Do you think that in college, if they had an all-star game in college, would they put the college three-point line where the NBA three-point line is? Or would they keep the college line where the college line is? It would not have been hard to have two different three-point lines. Now, maybe she didn't want it. Maybe it wasn't necessary. But Kenny Smith to get absolutely rolled over a comment of, hey, I don't understand why the rule was different for this three-point contest, which Steph Curry won. And it was actually exciting. He won at 29-26. It was very, very cool. It is guaranteed to happen again. Maybe it's the ancillary events, like the Pro Bowl in NFL. Hey, forget the game. We'll play skills and some sort of flag football. That's not going to change in the NBA. It's still going to be a game. Maybe they'll try to get All-Star Saturday back to what it was when it was must-see TV, like the dunk contest. Did you all enjoy the dunk contest? How is it possible a non-NBA players in the dunk contest? Mac McClung has now won back-to-back dunk contests, except here's the problem. He's in the G League. Why can't we invite the halftime guys, give them trampolines? Why can't they be in the dunk contest? The whole purpose of the dunk contest is you've got the best dunkers from the actual NBA. Why? They can't get anyone to do it anymore. Jalen Brown was the big star of the four-man dunk contest. They used to have eight people, maybe more, different rounds. It was a show. It can't be what sponsors want anymore. No one gives a flying rat's pituitary gland about anything related to the NBA All-Star Weekend. Nobody. The best we can come up with is people complaining about the locale. Who the hell wants to go to Indy? Did you see when the game started? Listen, I'm not a Reggie Miller guy because he was on Indiana and I was a Nick guy in the 90s, so you can't be a Reggie Miller guy. He's standing next to Oscar Robertson. I'm a Milwaukee guy, the big O. He's standing next to Larry Bird. Reggie Miller talks into the microphone for about four minutes. And then Oscar Robertson gets 10 seconds. And Larry Larry Brown, God damn it, 4869. It's President's Day. No one else is working. And Larry Bird said, Indiana, start your engines. That's how they allocated the microphone. Maybe Larry was too shy. Didn't want to say more. The whole thing drove me crazy. Let me give you a wait to see. How about that? This is an official wait to see. When I tell you something's going to happen, if it does, great. If it doesn't, I promise we revisit it. One, next year's NBA All-Star Game, there will be another male-female three-point contest. And two, there is going to be a mid-collective bargaining change to the All-Star Game. This year, the change was back to East versus West instead of the draft of players because the union said, well, no, because then someone's the last man drafted and that's too embarrassing. Like a playground pick, that's too embarrassing. All right, we'll go back to East versus West, which it always should be. Here's the second wait to see, Coca. They're going to increase the money mid-CBA. They're going to increase the money given to the participants both the winners and the losers. They got to do something. If you're a broadcast network, if you're TNT, you're putting so many resources into pregame, you are spending a ton of money on production and you're getting absolute crap. (laughs) 
I was so excited for the All-Star game. I don't know why I love them. We lost our pick of the days because of it. We had the West giving two and a half to the East, lost. Idiot David thought that there'd be defense because Adam Silver wanted a competitive game. The final score was 211 to 186. That's 397 points. The over-under was 362, and I went under. What a joke. We are 24 and 28. There is no pick of the day tonight. I'm sorry for all of us degenerates out there. No pick of the day tonight. We'll be back. Just not tonight. I was too angry. Let's talk about Jerry Reinsdorf. He's always my favorite topic. No, he's not. Let me, let me do that better. I don't want to say that to Jerry. Ready? Wipe it. Four, eight, six, nine. Let's talk about Jerry Reinsdorf. He's been one of my favorite topics to talk about, one of my favorite people, a guy who, for whatever reason, our friendship has disappeared since I started Nothing Personal with David Sampson. I guess he may have taken things a little personally. Maybe he didn't like to hear me reiterate the conversations he's had about finishing in second place. Maybe he didn't like to hear me talk about public financing for stadiums or the fact that his team's going to lose a hundo this year. Word came out this weekend that the Chicago White Sox, who are looking, remember, for the new ballpark, we talked about it. It's a real estate play, 78 acres in the South Loop, all sorts of commercial and residential and all sorts of ways to make a lot of money. Well, wouldn't you know it, Jer Bear's looking for a bill. Is it possible? that he's reaching out to the city of Chicago looking for a billion dollars in subsidies. Here's where it gets a little tricky. There are many ways to announce or to calculate the subsidies that are given. So as, for example, we never counted in the Marlins deal, the subsidy that was given when the Marlins didn't have to pay property tax in the stadium that they were able to exploit every dollar of revenue for. The stadium is owned by the public by the city, by the county, by the county, really. Therefore, there's no property tax on county-owned buildings. Therefore, the Marlins don't own the land. They don't own the stadium. They don't pay property tax. That is page 1F of the stadium financing playbook. People do not want to pay property tax. Owners do not want to pay it. But we never counted that as part of the subsidy. Property tax on a building, let's just say 20 million a year for 30 years, you're looking at $600 million discounted over the 20 years. You're still talking about three, $400 million of an extra subsidy. Do we count that? No, we don't. The other thing we don't count, all of the things that the public does in order to get the stadium able to be a stadium. Utilities, cleanup. Site prep, manufacturing extra power stations, little things that you may think are nothing. Sewage. Do you know how much sewage you need from a stadium? You have to pretend that everyone is using every bathroom at the same time and flushing chicken fingers all at the same time. That's actually, it's called the big flush. This is a real thing, folks. We got kids and workers to come do it when we did the big flush for Marlins Park. 
everyone's in the bathroom, there's walkie talkies and you say, all right, three, two, one, boom. And everyone hits the flusher at the same time. And you just see whether or not pipes break or whether there's a flood or whether the entire building collapses on itself. I wore these big rubber boots to the flush off because God knows what the hell was going to happen. And you know what? Ended up being fine. And the last time that all flushers were used at the same time at Marlins Park, well, that's an attendance joke. We close the upper deck every time. Even in a full stadium, no one's using all flushers at the exact same time. Just doesn't happen. Why were we talking about toilets? Oh, we were talking about different ways that subsidies can be discussed and can be calculated. So when it says that Jerry Reinsdorf's looking for a billion dollars, I don't believe that he is looking for a billion dollars just to build a ballpark. Let's say he wants to build a ballpark and the new cost of a ballpark is a billion and a half, maybe $2 billion, which is absurd, but let's just say it is. So he's looking for some sort of 50-50 split or 66 and a third, 33 and two thirds. That's not a split that is going to be absolutely acceptable by Chicago. So therefore, someone who's leaking out a billion dollar subsidy is someone who truly doesn't want this deal to happen. No, it wasn't me. But here's who it could have been. Could it have been the Chicago Bears? <gasps> Am I starting something? Want to be starting something? Got to be starting something. The Bears are trying to get a stadium in Chicago while threatening to move to Arlington. The White Sox are trying to get a stadium in Chicago while threatening to move to Nashville, but then saying, nah, we were never going to move in the first place, but certainly moving outside of city limits, not out of the question. The city of Chicago now has to figure out how at the same time, how do you finance both a football stadium and a baseball ballpark? This level of funding for the White Sox, could it actually stop the Bears from getting a deal done? Jared Reinsdorf, as part of his plan, this is always a popular one. I love it. I really do. Let's take the tax that already exists that was supposed to sunset and let's keep it going. Very popular. When Remember, Milwaukee tried to do this too. You get a tax that is meant just to pay off the bonds for the ballpark. It's an extra. It can be an occupancy tax. It could be anything. A tourist tax, a hotel tax, it can be a general tax on the people in the community. Whatever the case is, it's a set tax for a set number of years. Remember in Minnesota when they paid the tax off early? Was it Minnesota, Coca? Someplace they paid their uh they paid the bonds off early so they could stop the tax. Here's the problem. When you vote in a referendum or when your politicians vote to tax somebody, whether it's tourists or whether it's citizens, it is really hard to stop that tax. So the example in your business, for those of you in business, or even just with your own lives, when there's a budget item, how many of you, when the year's ending and there's money left in a budget silo that you control, spend that money so you can show the powers that be that the budgeted money was spent and that you need that exact amount plus a little bit more for next year's budget. But if you leave money inside a budget category, then the CFO looks and says, oh, you didn't need that amount of money. Next year, we're giving you only what you spent. So there's a mad rush to spend all the money inside your budget category. I know you all know what I mean. 
It's not that different with taxes. When there are hotels that are used to charging whatever the hotel tax is in Chicago, let's just say that he wants that it's 2%. So you check into the Drake or the Western or wherever you are, and you look at your bill and the, the rate is $299, and then you see a 2% tax and it just says hotel occupancy. You pay, you don't think about it, you expense it, or you just pay it if you're there personally. Do you think that that money that's being used for whatever the case it's been used for, and it's been around for decades, if they continue that tax, and right now it's due to expire in 2034, would anyone notice if they discontinued the tax or continued it? No, no one would. Because do you think that your hotel rates would go down? No, because the hotels don't collect the tax. There'd just be a new tax that would replace it. So one of the things that we love to do when we're trying to get public money is we try to say to our constituents and to the citizens, hey, we're not creating a new tax. We're simply continuing an existing tax or we're allocating an existing tax. For Marlins Park, what annoyed me the most about all the misinformation, there were no new taxes for Marlins Park. There was no increase to an existing tax. There was no continuation of a tax that was going to end. This was about an allocation of existing tax money. And everyone got it wrong in Miami. No matter how many times I would stand on a soapbox and tell you what that tax money was, y'all got it wrong. In Chicago, in order to get it done, they're going to need to extend a tax. That's sort of like creating a new tax, isn't it? But believe you me, it's going to happen. What did Minnesota use, Coco? Oh, they did use those pull tab games. That was a great one. I always love that. I love when lottery money is used. Hey, we're going to come up with a lottery money. We tried that so much. We wanted to come up with a new lottery in Miami because what better way to get money from poor people than doing a lottery? It's the single greatest plan of all time. I couldn't disagree with them more. It makes me crazy. All the people who go to casinos on payday every other Thursday. I know you know that. The casinos, the local casinos, their greatest days are the paydays. People come and gamble what they can't afford. All the pull tab lottery tickets and the scratch off lottery tickets. Hey, look, that guy just won two cheeseburgers plus $10,000. Oh, I missed it by $1 sign. All right, I'll just take 30 of them. But. It is a huge way. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you know from your kids, all these lotteries around the United States, it's been a tremendous boon to the school systems. The school systems are amazing now. There's barely any FRD schools. Everything, I keep hitting the new mic, Coco. Everybody is an A school, B school, because the money is flowing in like it's from the Mississippi River. Don't worry. When you do a new pull tab game, it's not tax. It's not your money, folks. It's not taxpayer money. It's not a public subsidy. I thought that our way was the best. Tourist money. One of my favorite lines was, if you're paying a hotel bed occupancy or you're paying a hotel tax, it means you're a local person going to a stay vacation, likely with someone who's not your wife. But if you're in for a conference or you're traveling, you pay the tax, you expense it to your businesses, businesses that are generally outside of the state, who cares? It's a perfect financing plan. 
Oh, but then DeSantis and other governors and other people in Florida stand up and say, we've got to lower the taxes in Orlando. We can't have the bed tax too much. We're losing out on conventions to places with smaller hotel tax. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. There is so much manipulation with PR. Sort of like Adam Silver telling you last night's All-Star game worked. Nope, didn't work. All right. When we come back, we're going to review a movie I watched with Zac Efron and Jeremy Allen White called The Iron Claw. Then we're going to talk a little spring training, a little baseball. And one of the things that uh, Nolan Arenado said, and we have to talk about leadership, leadership, leadership. We'll be right back. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It is David Sampson, Matthew Coco. We are live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. If all of your other podcasts are taking a break today, guess what? We're not. We are live. I don't know how you take a Monday off. Too much going on this weekend. I watched a movie yesterday before the All-Star Game, and it's the new movie with Zac Efron. It's called The Iron Claw. A few caveats. Number one. A few provisos, little notes. I had never heard of the Von Erich family. You, the most famous wrestling family of the 80s, father, sons, the whole family. I'd never heard of them. I didn't know what went on in the movie. It's based on a true story. I didn't know the end. I didn't know who lives, who dies, who wins, who doesn't. Are they champions? Are they not? I was very much focused on the fact that Jeremy Allen White and Zac Efron were willing to use steroids to be in a movie. Who doesn't? Actors use steroids all the time. You cannot get the body that Zac Efron had in this movie without steroids. It may be CGI, in which case I take it back. It is a movie that will upset you. It is a true story about a family, the tragedies that the family goes through, the drive that the family has, the dysfunction amongst brothers and father, the old narrative of a father living out his dreams through his children. Can we talk about that for one second again? What is it about fathers and mothers, mostly fathers, that make it seem as though their son's accomplishments are their own and that it somehow makes up for what they couldn't do, living vicariously through their child and making their child play seven hours of tennis a day, making their child lift weights or wrestle 12 hours a day until the point of body breaking down? standing up there with your child and taking the credit as though you had done it when in fact it was your child who did it. Why can't fathers just be okay with children being children or children turn into adults who are different, who have different strengths, different loves, different passions, or maybe are better than their fathers at what they do. 
Isn't that okay? Shouldn't it be okay? The father in the Iron Claw was a bad, bad man. The sons in the Iron Claw were troubled, troubled men. The Von Erich family makes the Kennedys look like the luckiest family in the world. Iron Claw. I strongly suggest you see it. Don't read about it if you don't know about it. Watch it. When you're done, read about it. And then get to me on davidsampsonpodcast.com or on Twitter, David P. Sampson. I want to know if any of the things in the movie bothered you that were not in the movie or were put in the movie that weren't true or were not put in the movie that were not true or that were true, that could have been true. Fact V fiction. I always read the fact V fiction. And keep in mind, my name is David Sampson. And I was upset with Bohemian Rhapsody because so many things about the Freddie Mercury story and the story of Queen were simply made up wrong. They screwed with the timing for dramatical purposes. Now, now that I'm working with Metal Arc Media, working on some movie projects, I totally understand how true stories are not true unless they're documentaries. And even then they can be quite agenda laden. So I actually am learning a little bit about stuff I don't want to learn about, which is why true stories, it's based on a true story, inspired by a true story. But then the audience watches it and says, oh, this must be true. And then you realize, wait a minute, it's not even close to true. Oh, I get it. They needed to make it more watchable. They needed to make it flow better. The things that were left out of Iron Claw, would they have hurt the flow? Get back to me. I want to hear it. It is no secret that Scott Boris is someone who I find palpably disgraceful in terms of the way he treats his players. It is no secret that I believe that owners would be well-suited to eliminate Scott Boris and his power by not bailing him out when he's got players unsigned the way he does now. And that is not calling for collusion. It's calling for good business. Signing Boris players is not good business. Forget the fact that even when you do sign a Boris player, then if that player happens to play well, all of a sudden they're ready for their next deal. Don't get me started on Bryce Harper looking for an extension now. Seven years left, wants a deal into his 40s all of a sudden. These players sign these deals and they're like, all right, that was good. I'm glad I signed a 10-year, 13-year deal. No, no, give me more. There's an agent, though, named Joe Wolf, who I've spoken highly of. He's Giancarlo Stanton's agent. Yamamoto's agent. Very successful and good at what he does, and a mensch. He's got a player named Nolan Arenado, who I only met in a surfacey way, pre-games, both in Colorado or in Florida. Hello, how you doing? Good to see you. And that was it. What I've heard about Nolan Arenado from Joe Wolf and others is that this is an absolute gem of a man. The exact guy you want on your team. Now, there are people who say that about their players. When agents tell you that, they're generally full of it and lying. If Joel Wolf tells you that, it's true. So my view is that Nolan Arenado has to be not just a great guy, but a great teammate, 
a great leader, the exact person you want to build your team around. That must mean that Joel is despondent beyond repair today because this weekend I read that Nolan Arenado had a quote that made me insane. He was trying to explain away why the Cardinals had a bad year last year, getting ready at spring training, which means you're, everyone's tied for first, as you know. And Nolan Arenado said, listen, our team was just all young guys. He said, I don't mean this in a bad way, but they overran the clubhouse and it should be veterans running the clubhouse. So we called out the young Cardinals players, not disrespectfully, basically saying that the reason why they only won 71 games last year, the reason why they didn't win the division when I said that they would, and they were the, I think I went five out of six and I lost the Cardinals in the NL Central. They finished last in the NL Central. He's trying to let you know that there were no veterans, no leadership in the Cardinals clubhouse. And then if you want to get the best out of your young guys, they've got to see how veterans do it. And then I started thinking, well, wait a minute, Nolan Arenado, you're exactly that person. Paul Goldschmidt, the MVP, not a rookie, a veteran. So I was wondering how he would explain that. And he said, I know me and Goldie were there, but we're not really vocal people. Let me talk a little bit about leadership here. There's two types of leaders in the clubhouse. There's leaders who lead by example, and there's leaders who lead by having the experience and the respect of the room, mostly because they're bilingual and mostly because they've been there and they've done it. Martin Prado. The Cardinals signed Matt Carpenter, and Nolan's point was we're so happy to have Carpenter back because he's going to be the leader. He's going to hold players accountable. My experience is that when you've got a bench player, which is what Carpenter will be at best, if not a released player, this sounds more like a plea to keep Carpenter on the major league team for as long as possible when his performance will warrant a release. When you're a GM and you listen to your captain, to your best player, to your players being paid, the amount of money Arenado's being played, tell you that he's not going to lead. He can't lead. He's not vocal. As though that's the excuse for the losing. I'm going right to the clubhouse, sitting with Nolan and saying, listen, you got to keep that to yourself. If you're going to blame the fact that we won 71 games and the fact that you and Goldie only lead by example and not with your mouths, that you don't hold players accountable, are you saying that I should fire Marmol right now, Ali, our manager? Maybe I should fire me, John Moziliak, the president of baseball operations. Because it can't be that we underperformed the way we underperformed because we did not have the proper leadership in the clubhouse and you didn't do anything about that. And you think Matt Carpenter is going to be the difference? On principle alone, I would release Matt Carpenter today and I would bring Goldie and Arenado into the office upstairs, not in the clubhouse, upstairs, make them come to my office. I would pull out the payroll. I would pull out their contracts and I would ask them, excuse me, do you believe that part of your job should be to be a leader? Some players say no to that. Some players say yes. Like one of my famous decision flowcharts. 
if they say no, I say, thank you very much. That'll be all. You can't create a leader. You can't teach a leader. You can't manufacture a leader. That goes for business. That goes for sports. That goes for life. You're either a leader or you're not. Under leader, those subsets do exist. The example or the vocal. And they're equal. Because it is the job of the manager, the pit boss, the management to explain to players or employees which type of leader is what. You go down and meet the young players and you say, I want you to pay attention to Nolan Arenado. I want you to look at the way he preps for a game. I want you to look at the food he eats, the video he watches. I want you to look at his discipline. I want you to look at his mind frame, his routine. Then there's other times you go to the clubhouse and you say to the players, I want you to look at John Cocktoastin. And I want you to listen to him. Listen to the words he says, because under his leadership, you will have a chance at getting to arbitration or a chance at free agency. He knows of what he says. Can a non-star player be that? Can you bring in an old player who no longer performs and have them lead your team? I thought about that a lot this weekend after reading Arenado's quotes. And here's where I come out. The number of players who are able to be leaders in the clubhouse while not performing in the starting lineup on a day-to-day basis and being superstars on the team, maybe five ever. Ichiro's a great example. Never wanted to be the vocal leader, always led by example. And his teammates would go up to him and ask him to explain his pregame routine, his off-season routine. Explain to me how you keep your body so ready. What do you do? Because it ain't needles. What do you do? do you, how do you throw? Ichiro does long toss from 600 feet. Arm never got hurt. What is the routine? Other players, when they come in, are never spoken to at all. They're never spoken to by players, ever. I haven't done my picks yet for this season. I've not done my predictions. But let me tell you, I am quite concerned about the St. Louis Cardinals. And I know that the audience in St. Louis is big, thriving, and growing. And you know I love you. But my God, should that make you angry. All right, I had a chance this weekend to also think about Rob Manfred, and we covered it last week. I don't remember what show. The Commissioner of Basketball of 4869. We covered it last week, I believe on Friday, the Commissioner of Baseball somehow getting it out into the universe that he was going to retire in five years. And I knew something was strange about that. And I questioned it on Friday. Why announce something so many years to go? So many things can change. So many things need to happen. All these articles have now come out about all the things that are left for the commissioner to do from the next collective bargain agreement to figuring out local media and the nightmare that is Bally's and their bankruptcy, figuring out how to get assets to appreciate, how to lift blackouts, figuring out how to continue to increase revenue 
try to figure out why more people are not watching the World Series while tweaking rules to get regular season attendance up because baseball is such a local sport, trying to figure out how to get more youth to play baseball, trying to get control even more than you have over everything baseball related from minor leagues to Olympics to everything else. It's a heavy lift for any commissioner, any CEO. A commissioner is a CEO. It's not out of the question to have succession plans. Bob Iger gets criticized all the time as the CEO of Disney. Hey, what's your succession plan? Don't quite have it. Hell, they did a whole TV show about a succession plan for Logan Roy, and we all watched it. Who's it going to be? Of course, commissioners, it's not your child. But it's the same exact concept. The thing is, the succession plans that are in real life, you don't necessarily need to look five years out. Now, banks do. And I want to talk about the difference between a J.P. Morgan a Goldman Sachs, a Morgan Stanley, and baseball, and Disney. What, what Jamie Dimon is doing at J.P. Morgan, he is the most influential CEO on Wall Street. He has his eyes set on several people who will succeed him as CEO, and he's putting them in different jobs in the company to learn different business centers so that they've got the experience of having touched everything, and then that will help inform him where he's going to go with succession. At Morgan Stanley, you had several people in the line for succession. Then you make it clear who's made the cut, and then the people who lose leave. It's no surprise that Tim Brosnan was not named commissioner, left the commissioner's office. Tony Petiti loses a power struggle, leaves the commissioner's office. These are absolutely standard operating procedures for companies. But five years for baseball is too many. And the reason why it's too many is that you are putting people in a position to politic to be commissioner when they don't even know what the job is. They don't know what it will entail in five years. They don't know what the landscape will be in five years. And most of all, they don't know who the voters will be in five years. Because of 30 owners today, you're going to have several new owners before five years from now. There will be several, several transactions. What about the excuse and the line that Rob Manford and all commissioners are just talking pieces for the owners who they represent and how we need a commissioner like Adam Silver, best buddies with the players. Well, I can tell you from being inside owners meetings that Adam Silver would not be a candidate to be a commissioner in Major League Baseball because it is of no interest to any owners in baseball for the commissioner to be best friends to the, with the players and make it a player's league the way the NBA is. It's gone so far in the NBA that Adam Silver, with his extension, is thinking to himself, wow, maybe my way is not working exactly correctly. You don't need to be best friends with your kids. Be their parent. They'll find other friends. It's not a popularity contest. The commissioner has a job to do. Is it to only wear a flak jacket? That's what other people are saying. Wear a flak jacket for the owners. People say that about Roger Goodell. Take all the bullets, which is an unfortunate expression. Take all of the arrows that are really heading toward owners and take it as though it's you. 
Well, you're not fooling anyone anymore. Being the mouthpiece, you are. But what is it about the job that actually warrants the 25 to 50 million a year? You're running a huge business. In football, with so much centrally located revenue, it is a multi-billion dollar business. In baseball, it used to be the majority of the revenue when we would call baseball a $10 billion industry. That wasn't central baseball doing that. That was individual clubs, all the revenues added up, and there was a huge disparity between the highest revenue and the lowest revenue teams. Think Yankees, think Guardians, or think Rays, or think Marlins. And most of that was made up by the disparity in media. When the Dodgers are making 300 million and other teams are making 30 million. But the commissioner doesn't do that in baseball. The commissioner does the national media rights deal. And the national media rights deal, each of their partners pay them under a billion dollars. Sponsorships, national sponsorships, my favorite, Loan Depot, ALCS and NLCS, second only to the Emirates in season tournament. Those national deals are split 30 ways. The single most important thing that the business leader does as commissioner is labor. Why do you think Rob became commissioner? Self-appointed by Bud after a crazy vote, which I've told the story before, but as these years pass and Rob either leaves or doesn't leave, I will continue to talk about that process and how it will be for the next set of candidates. But the reason why labor matters is that when you've got what they call labor hawk owners, those are like the Jerry Reinsdorfs of the world who want to really stick it to the players and are willing to lock out, are willing to have a work stoppage that lasts a long time in order to get what they want. You've got to balance 30 owners, their different needs and wants while figuring out how to keep the game playing because the one way that no one makes money is when games are not played. So it is going to be fascinating to me to watch what happens with the commissioner, with baseball, as we head into the next several years, because we have just begun. All right. What's next? Oh, that's it, Coca. We'll be back tomorrow live, 8 a.m. I totally lost track of time. It's just business. Thanks for being here on Monday, February 19th. When no one else is, we appreciate you. This is Nothing Personal. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.